What's up, movie lovers? Welcome to episode number 41 of Ready Play Movies, your weekly source for everything that's new and exciting in the world of entertainment. Every Tuesday at 6 a.m. Pacific or 9 a.m. Eastern Time, we discuss the top news of the week, notable releases, what we're watching, big topics of the industry, and the movies we love. If you want to write anything to be read on the show, send us an email to readyplaymovies at gmail.com or hit us up at readyplaymovies on Twitter. No matter where you found us, please subscribe to the feed so you can get every new new show directly to device as soon as it posts. And if you like it, please leave us a nice review. This is October 19th, 2021. I'm your host, Louis Menchaca. And joining me today is, once again, absolutely no one. So... It is uh, Sunday for me when I'm recording this podcast. I'm recording it a day early. Uh, so, yeah, I got my uh, Dallas Cowboys uh, jersey on right now for you video watchers. Uh, I'm wearing the jersey because I watched the Cowboys game earlier today, and they, they won. They beat the New England, and it was a very intense, very nail-biting game uh, where they um, basically had to go to overtime. Um, and it was, yeah, very, very like, oh my God, it was very worried because I really wanted, I really wanted uh, the, the Cowboys to win because um, I have a coworker who's a New England fan and I wanted to be like, fuck you, you know, but, uh, so yeah, but anyways, so all that tangent notwithstanding, um, it's going to be a shorter show today, uh, number one, because it's like one person, but also um, I want to keep it at an hour long because I want to make it easier for me to edit and put the stuff out. Um, I have to pre-schedule it for Tuesday when it comes up. And uh, the reason why is because I'm going on vacation and I'm literally like flying out out of town in the morning. So uh, I wanna make things easier, as easy as possible for me. And plus uh, uh, I kinda wanted to just kinda, you know, trim the fat, so to speak. You know, I generally tend to be, have two hour long shows. I can do that this week as well. There's enough material to do it. However, I'm not. I'm actually just, I actually uh, axed a a whole segment. I axed uh, Check This Out, and I basically integrated Check This Out into the news. Uh, And I axed uh, two of the charts in Netflix and Chill, so that way I can just sort of get through the charts real quick and then keep it moving. Uh, So, yeah. And I also don't want to really tire my voice out. Um, I did last time with the the two-hour-long show. So, uh, instead, I just want to just kind of, like, get through it and uh, and, sh- and just basically talk about really the one thing that's really worth talking about, which is DC Fandom. DC Fandom happened this week, and we'll get to that momentarily, but let's just go ahead and uh, and get onto the reg- regular run of show. But actually, there's one other thing of housekeeping I forgot to mention. is like, Troy will be back next week. Uh, so he's uh, he's already talked to me. He's like, yeah, he's going to come back from Austin. He's he's back. Uh, he'll be back in town. And uh Yeah. I'm very excited because he wants to, he really wanted to give his thoughts on DC fandom and I can understand because he's a huge DC fan. So he'll probably like say it real quick at the beginning of next week's show about his thoughts. Um, but yeah, as far as uh, what I've been watching, I actually haven't been watching much of anything to tell you the truth. Like I was I've been kind of busy and I haven't had time to watch much of anything. So I have been watching one show and I completely forgot about it on previous shows and stuff like that. So I just sort of kind of, it sort of works out because I was like, oh, okay. I have one thing to talk about for impressions. It's a show called Y, like the letter Y, uh, something like that. Anyways, um, I'm going to make it an X with my fingers, but it's more of, I was trying to make a Y. Anyways, uh, Y, The Last Man, and it is a show, it's like an apocalyptic show that's on FX and also on Hulu, um, where you, there, there's this civilization, like kind of like, I think it's based on a, of a graphic novel, I want to say, but it's basically like a virus that just kind of killed every single man, like every single creature on earth with a Y chromosome. So like rats, lions, giraffes, 
like humans, like anything with the Y chromosome, like all the males of a species just died and just fell over and died world the world over, like all at once. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a very interesting premise for a show. Um, and there's this one character, his name is uh, Yorick, and he just, the letter Y, kind of starts with the letter Y. He is the only man who didn't die and succumbed to the virus. Uh, he has a Y chromosome, and he's very, a, a very valuable person, you know? He was just a guy, kind of like a, an average Joe, kind of, well, not really average Joe, because there's more to it, but he's just sort of like an average Joe guy who doesn't really, he's kind of a slacker, kind of doesn't really have much going on for himself, like, as far as going on in his life. Uh, he's sort of, he's still trying to find himself, and you know, all that kind of shit that either early, somebody in their 20s kind of, like, is kind of, you know does and stuff like that and so now he's catapulted catapulted into like the most uh, important person in the world to be alive and um and it just so happens like the way his character is like set up is um he's uh he's the son of the president of the united states so it's just very the optics are terrible like um it's almost like a conspiracy theory like in and of itself it's like oh you're telling me that the only last remaining man out on planet Earth just so happens to be the president's son? Like, mm-hmm, you know, like that kind of stuff. There's there's so much at play. And um, and it's not even like the president, like the original president's son. It's like the, the congresswoman who got sworn in as president because of the line of succession with all the men dying. Like, they, she was the next one at the, uh, at the top of the block as far as, like, um, you know, possible um person to be sworn in uh there was like one female cabinet member but they were thought to be dead because um kind of like in infinity war when people got thanos snapped it's not just the people that snapped that died it's even just the people that were you know driving in the car whenever like you know the cr uh, car crashes happen when the drivers you know just disappear helicopter crashes when the helicopter pilot the you know kill is just disappeared so it's kind of like all of that happening as well and that's one thing i really hated about the show is that the first episode gives us the uh the 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 apocalypse in the last like 5 minutes like i really wanted a whole episode and I, granted i know it's going to be like budget wise it's going to be like hella crazy but like you know i can understand why it wouldn't work on a tv budget but I think that there would have been it would have been great if there was a whole episode dedicated to the apocalypse where like just everything's crumbling and falling apart and just pandemonium everywhere. I would have liked to see that. Uh, I don't know. I just it just kind of it, that's that interests me. I don't know if that's like let's say I'm not trying to say I'm morbid or anything like that. I'm just saying like that those five minutes of just like the deer in the headlights where certain characters were like just freaking out when shit's like crumbling around them like that. It was actually interesting and I would have liked to see more of just like the shock that happens that they just sort of skip by and brush past because they just sort of do like a flash forward like three weeks later or one month later or whatever and just sort of like you know everyone's sort of already picking back the pieces of the puzzle so they you know they're you know they're moving on and trying to like live their lives and stuff like that and uh, granted there's still an apocalypse going on right there's like power shutting down they're like losing power and like there's no men to like keep the infrastructure going and stuff like that and so yeah, it's a it's a really interesting show. Um, there's only two men in the cast. There's you know the guy that plays Yorick, Yorick as the the last man, and there's just so happens to be one other guy in the show, but he is not a a Y chromosome man. He's a transgendered man. Uh, so the actor that's playing him is a real you know cis male, but he's playing a transgendered character who's transitioned and. Uh, 
his character struggling with like finding testosterone to inject himself to keep him, you know, masculine and all that stuff. Um, yeah. So with that being said, I just thought that it's a good recommendation. You guys should check it out. It's on Hulu. Uh, the whole uh, season is there. Now, the only thing, bad thing about my recommendation is that it comes on the announcement. Like, oh, let's go ahead and put the article up on screen. It comes up on the announcement that why The Last Man was canceled by FX. So it says that um, it will. the cancellation comes weeks before its first season uh, debuts its final episode. The news was shattered. Uh, the news was shared that why the last man sh- by why the last man showrunner Eliza Clark uh, through her Twitter on Sunday in her post. Clark thanks FX and the show's creative team for their partnership on the project. She also expresses hope that why the last man will be able to continue its run on a different network. Uh, quote: We have learned that we will not be moving forward with FX on Hulu for season two of Why the Last Man. I have never in my life um, been more committed to a story. There's so much left to tell, Clark wrote. We had a great gender-diverse team of brilliant artists led by women at almost every corner of our production. It is the most collaborative, creatively fulfilling, and beautiful thing I've ever been a part of. We don't want it to end. Uh, So Why the Last Man premiered with three episodes on FX on Hulu on September 13th, and it's adapted uh, from a comic book of the same name. Uh, this series follows the survivors of a cataclysmic event that kills every animal on Earth with a Y chromosome except for one cisgender man and his monkey. Oh, yeah. Uh, there are two males um, alive in the show. It's his pet monkey also didn't die. Let's see. That's on his shoulder a lot. <clears throat> the main cast includes Diane Lane, and she plays the president, and uh, Ashley Romans, Olivia Thurlby, um, and I'll just go ahead and skip along to say Amber Tamblin because that's the other big name star. Um, and yeah, so I'll go ahead and just end it there as far as the article goes. But yeah, it sucks that the show is getting canceled and it's such an interesting show. I hope that maybe like a Netflix picks it up or something like that. You know, Netflix always comes in clutch and saves, and saves the day on everything. So um, yeah, that's kind of what's going on with, uh, with Why the Last Man. I still think you guys should check it out. It's a good show. Um, there, there was, uh, uh, there's, there's a lot going on as far as plot wise, a lot of mysteries and mysteries going on. And um, I hope that the way the pace is going, by the way, I'm like, I think there's like seven episodes out, I want to say. I forgot the number episode count, but I'm caught up. Uh, but the, uh, the way the pace is going, it, it's looking like it's going to end in a cliffhanger because there's no way they're going to be able to resolve a lot of plot threads with how, you know, characters can't really travel. Like, uh, it's like you got to go somewhere, but you kind of sort of have to go on foot because gasoline is running out and stuff like that or whatever. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's what I was watching. And I'll have uh, more impressions for you guys next week when I watch some new releases that come out, that come out this week. Um, anyways, with that out of the way, we'll go ahead and move on to the news. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. All right. The... The news, we got to go on to the actual thing that matters the most, DC Fandom. It's the thing that you guys are all here to see and talk about and everything like that. Uh, DC Fandom happened this past Saturday. It was like this giant long live stream um, with this like virtual panels and stuff like that were going on on DC Fandom's website. And um, yeah, I just want to sort of want to just give like a quick like, I don't know, reactions or I don't know how to explain it, but it was... um, it's definitely a situation where, like, when you have, like, these um, these virtual panels and stuff, like, or, like, this virtual presentation, it's like DC had its own E3 is the best way I can explain it. 
and um, they it was so long. Like they since they had to do everything from like TV shows, movies, video games, comic books, and other ancillary things and stuff like that. They had so many things to announce. So you, if you were like a total like DC fan, I mean like a <clears throat> a hella DC fan where you're you watch everything DC from every like show on HBO Max to you know you know from like from like Titans and like everything like just animated shit whatever like if you watch anything DC um then this would have been like your your Christmas right but the thing is like I'm I consider myself a DC fan but I'm like not I'm not up DC's ass either you know what I mean so like for me there was a lot of lulls in that presentation where like the stuff that interested me or stuff that talked to me was like being like spread out and like very thin, like and sort of sprinkled in throughout all these other announcements and panels that I didn't really care about, you know? So, um, I'm glad I was able to like, I was, I was, I, I was working when they were doing the live stream, like the official live stream. And so because I can't like watch the whole thing, I have to like pause the live stream, uh, while I'm working. And then, like, when I get back to, like, I can unpause. And so what happens is there was often times where um, I was, like, disinterested. And I got, like, you know, I was like, what the hell? I don't care. And I just started, like, f- skipping and pressing fo- uh, fast forward. Um, I found doing myself doing that a lot as well. Um, but, yeah, uh, the really, they, they, they just sort of kept on saying, oh, yeah, it's okay, guys. We got Batman coming up. Batman's coming up. And that's the very last thing they do. You know what I mean? Like, they, they just sort of, um, you know, keep on cock teasing you like constantly um but anyways uh they're, they're really like there was some cool last special looks like uh, like first looks of the flash the flash movie looks hella interesting um we saw like behind the scenes featurette a little featurette of uh making of uh, uh making of aquaman and um there was also a um a shazam like behind the scenes which is like really interesting because uh, because the film had, the movie had done film wrap, it wrapped filming, and I would have figured that they would have had a trailer to put together in time for DC fandom. And I know it's got, pro, and it's got post production, but like I'm pretty sure you can make a teaser based off of based off of shots that you have that require no CGI. So I guess not. So whatever. Um, there was um, uh, a just a teaser, a tease, the, the most teasiest teaser of uh, Black Adam of showing not even showing the rock as black adam because he was draped in like this hood and you can really see his face but he's like you know very ominous and stuff like that and he just did a freaking mortal combat fatality on somebody you know so um but yeah anyways i'm gonna go ahead and just read along with this uh um article that comes from uh, comes from variety dc's fandom hours of free panels previews and performances are back with several teases and updated from highly anticipated projects like the batman the event is a collection of programming attached to DC properties across all platforms. All fandom content will be available for a 24 period, 24 hour period beginning on October 16th on the event website. But that's not true because I'm pretty sure like everyone can screen grab or, you know, re-release their trailers elsewhere, so sure it's all on YouTube. But anyways, uh so we uh, this article just sort of gives us like a like a uh, a list of every um of every single trailer. So we got the Batman trailer. That's out. I want to leave that one for last. Uh, we shows us the, the black Adam thing. And then that was crazy. It's like, it's almost so, sort of setting him up to look like a villain with that teaser. Uh, Aquaman and the lost kingdom. We saw a lot of good featurettes and, you know, we saw like a little documentary style thing of like 
Jason Momoa on the first day of shooting in July. We saw uh, some more looks at Peacemaker, and Peacemaker looks even interesting as hell. Like with some of the, they have like a, he's got a little sidekick called Vigilante, and it looks awesome. It's, it looks like a very good uh, dynamic going on. The Flash movie, oh my God, this is like the most teasiest tease I've ever like. Just like it's kind of funny is Ezra Miller was talking on camera, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have anything to show you guys, and, you know. And he basically like psyched us out, and he's like, all right, here's here's our first look, and it's really pretty much a ta- it's actual trailer or damn near trailer. Uh, Shazam Fury of the Gods. We didn't really get it. We got a behind the scenes look, and I get I hate that. Like I really was hoping for more than just a behind the scenes look. Um, we got a TV show like CW's The Flash. Uh, we had there's something called the Milestone Initiative, which is uh, a bid to identify new writers and artists with diverse backgrounds in the comic book industry. The effort is to is a nod to Milestone Media, the now iconic line of uh, comics that was de- uh, devised by a group of black creators in the early 1990s and published with DC. Milestone Media joined with DC again in February, and it's making a live action Static Shock movie and the company's first animated feature. Uh, next up is the Suicide Squad killed the Justice League. That's the game. We saw a better trailer with more shit going on and looks very interesting. Uh, it kind of looks like it's taking its cues from like the, the latest Suicide Squad movie as far as the humor. Uh, it looks interesting. Then we got some first looks at like behind the scenes of Superman and Lois, like the set and everything like that. Uh, the cast of Supergirl is like I did a panel where they bid farewell. Uh, Star Girl has got a little sneak peek with her show coming to the CW. Uh, the new Superman motto change. Um, it's that's an extra news item. He's no longer uh, tr- like was it Truth, Justice, and the American Way. It's now Truth, Justice, and a Better Tomorrow. I mean, I don't know. Is it? That's almost like a discussion right there. I wish Troy was, you know, here to say, you know, what he would thought about that. I would, I would like to hear like a take. Uh, about whether or not truth, justice, and the American way really needed to be retouched. Now, granted, I understand, you know, it's very uh, American-centric, you know, but, yeah, Uh, if you want to make a global brand, you know, you got to think bigger and broader, and that's why even the movies sort of, like, even, like, the movies up until, like, the, like, I think the Brandon Ralph movie and and the, uh, the, um, the Henry Cavill movies sort of shied away from that part, like, you know, where... He said in the editorial rooms, like, truth, justice, and all that stuff, you know. Uh, Doom Patrol, we got a new uh, Doom Patrol uh, season three finale look or whatever, um, as well as it's being renewed for a season four. Uh, The Sandman, uh, so there's a first look at Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer and Neil Gaiman's adaptation of Sandman Netflix series, okay. Uh, DC's League of Super Pets, we saw, like, a little scene, a little clip. Uh, the Batwoman uh, CW series. We got a, like a trailer for season three. Um, and also uh, Gotham Knights. We saw more uh, from the Court of Owls, like where the like, certain writers are, are like talking about their adaptation of the Court of Owls storyline. Uh, Le- D- the Legends of Tomorrow, uh, they did, they're celebrating the one, their 100th episode. So they did a 100 second long trailer for it as well. Titans is being renewed for season four on HBO Max. Uh, oh, I guess uh, I guess they're no longer doing uh, DC Universe Online or like that that app or whatever. So they're just doing it all on HBO Max now. Um, it's renewed for season four, um, and we had, they they showed us a scene from the finale that's airing on October twenty first. Um, Harley Quinn's animated show is uh, being worked on, and they gave us a very early look of season three, and they showed like fucking animatics 
like I don't know if you know what an animatic is, but uh, it's basically like a storyboard that's sort of very like rough. It's like you know like like a like a live action storyboard is the best way I can explain it. And uh, I've never I don't think I'm not a fan of animatics uh, like showing that publicly because it's sort of like it's not a good first look. I think it's something to show when you're working on something, but like it's too rough. You know, it's like a rough draft. It's like scratch work, you know. Uh, they showed uh, the new trailer for Young Justice Phantoms, uh, which is like shows some of the grown-up heroes in action. So the Young Justice heroes are grown up. And uh, there's something called Naomi. Don't know what that is. Uh, Catwoman Hunted, which is the, a DC animated movie coming out early next year. Um, Pennyworth. Didn't even know that that was even a show. But, yeah, uh, Alfred has his own show on HBO Max. Shit, everybody has a show on HBO Max, if it's anything. Uh, and then uh, uh, something from Sweet Tooth. Uh, I guess they're working on Sweet Tooth Season 2 for Netflix. And the actor, the star of the show, uh, he answered questions about them shooting the second season. So, yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, like, there were some cool bangers like uh, Gotham Knights. And, like, the two games that they had were really dope. Um and like Justice League, uh, or sorry, Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, and Gotham Knights were, were definitely stuff that I was personally interested. Uh, and of course, you know the the Flash didn't delivered, and the Batman delivered. Now this is like the big the big main one is like, you know, the Batman trailer. That's the thing that everyone's talking about. And I gotta say that um, I've been seeing a lot of positive reactions online, but also one of my closest friends, they were saying that it looks very cliche or whatever. And I'm like, what the fuck? I guess his standard, you know, is is uh, is different. But uh, for me, I mean, it just looks like very, like, Arkham City, you know, very Arkham, you know, Arkham Asylum kind of looking, like, uh, very gritty. It's like the Christopher Nolan, like, it's like a hybrid. It's like, you know, if you do Christopher Nolan, like, realistic, gritty, realistic reboot, you know, but also, you know, sort of, like, do a little of like Man of Steel, like extra eccentricities and stuff like that, and sort of just blend them together. You sort of get like this realistic dark noir film, and that's very like rough around the edges, you know, uh, very lo fi, but also like just, I don't know. I don't, it's, it's really hard to explain, but I hope you guys are following my logic. Um, yeah, I'm very much interested. This looks like a like day one kind of thing, where it's like I'm gonna sort of be there opening weekend. I am very much, uh, on board with Robert Pattinson's uh, Batman. You know, I wasn't really like, uh, how do I put this? I wasn't really feeling Robert Pattinson at first, but then, you know, he, you know, can turn it around. He, like, he shows that he's like, an, he's not just the guy from Twilight, you know. He shows he's an actor and stuff like that. Things like uh, uh, Tenet, you know, sort of prove that, right? And so I had no qualms. After a while, I had no qualms about uh about Robert Pattinson, you know, acting the part, you know, from like uh, Bruce Wayne, like very like dark and gritty and just like intense, like you know, even that first trailer sort of, uh, sort of sold me on his intensity, right? And the second trailer now showed me or uh, sold me on the physicality. I mean, that was the one thing I was, like, I had a hiccup on, where it's like, yeah, but he didn't really bulk up you know, for, like, he didn't get jacked like Ben Affleck did, you know, for BVS, you know, like, I wanted, like, I wanted, like, Batman, the animated series, big, bulky Bruce Wayne, 
You know what I mean? Like I wanted that, and I'm not sure. Like like Ben Affleck was like the closest to like that that kind of thing. You know, Christian Bale. You know, he's very like slender and stuff like that. You know, he's got physique, but he's very slender. You know, um, Ben Affleck when he bulked up, when he was like freaking hitting uh, what is it, P90X or whatever the fuck? Like not like in actual, but like basically a P90X where he's just like just jacked. You know. Um, I think that that was that, that kind of ideal, idealistic, you know, Bruce Wayne that I was wanting, you know, like, it's like, it's like you sort of have to choose between like when you have a Spider-Man, it's like a really good Peter Parker or a really good Spider-Man, but not both, you know, it's like, you know, try to sort of do that thing where like he plays a billionaire, a, a businessman billionaire in real, like his character, Bruce Wayne and sort of, but when he's like really big in a fucking like suit, does he look like he belongs, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't know. But, um, yeah, uh, the, they straight up made him bulletproof. Like, just like, he's like, just taking shots, like, they're just walking through them. Oh, there's this one scene. And I feel like, I feel like more movies are like copying that scene where, uh, like a character, the, the hero or like, or I guess a character would just walk down a hallway in very dark, low lighting and just be very like fucking ominous and just badass. Like, Ever since Star Wars Rogue One did that hallway scene with Darth Vader where he's just mowing down um, the the rebels um, in that hallway with like in the only thing that's really lighting it is the, is the lightsaber and he's just you know chopping everyone down and going through them and just using the force and all that shit like there was a version of that scene like I've seen a version of that scene on other movies and I can't think of them off the top of my head right now but they did that shot where like Batman is going down the hallway and he's uh, going and killing every or like knocking everyone out or whatever and all you see that's lighting up the the hallway is like the muzzle fire from a machine gun so like that fire thing like that's all you see and it's like so badass and so intense and it's like yeah i like it but at the same time it's like we all know we all know where you where it's inspired from you know that kind of stuff so i really liked it and um yeah that's really all I wanted to say, and I'm sure when when uh, when Troy comes back, we'll 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 go more back and forth. But um, overall, like I was, I don't know how to put it. I I I do think that like my patience was tested with the presentation. Um, I think there was a lot that to be a lot to be um, enjoyed. Like if I were a Superman and Lois fan and I watched the show, if I was still watching the Flash, if I was watching. Uh, you know, um, what, else, what else, what else, what, what else is on here? If I was watching Doom Patrol, like if I was watching like the shows on HBO Max, like, you know, these are like season threes and season four announcements that are happening here. Like I would be very much inclined to be like, holy, yeah, holy shit. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. But yeah, I don't, uh, I haven't, I'm not like, you know, what do you call it? Like anchored, uh, to these, these things and stuff like that. But I mean, with something like this, you know, rising tide, lifting all boats, you know, I'm pretty sure like these things, you know, put these things on my radar and I'm more inclined to check it out. You know what I mean? So like, I think that that's sort of what it's about. It's about like having all your brands synergize with each other and sort of, you know, hype each other up by association. So anyways, yeah, that is uh, DC Fandom, and uh, of course, the link to this article is in the description and in the show notes, so that way you guys can watch all the trailers in that article that are just nice and nicely piecemealed out. Uh, so, we'll go ahead and move on to the next story, which is uh, Halloween Kills It at the Box Office. Um, 
this comes from Variety, and it says it scores a $50.4 million debut and the last duel bombs at the box office. So these, this is recording on Sunday, by the way. These are the estimates, the official studio estimates right now. They generally tend to be very close, like, you know, not too far off on Sunday estimates. Um, the Monday numbers are like the final numbers that come in after the estimates are done, and uh, it could, you know, move like a plus or one, a million or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, like, sorry about that. Okay, I'm not recording on Monday. So hopefully these things are, you know, turned out to, turn out to be accurate. If anything, more often than not, the estimates tend to underestimate because they want to be conservative. Like, studios tend to want to be conservative. So maybe by it's, when it comes in on the final numbers on Monday, maybe it'll hit 52 million or something like that, you know. Um, but anyways, Universal and Blumhouse uh, Halloween Kills uh, topped the box office uh, this weekend with $50.4 million, $50. million debut, uh, giving theater owners hope that the exhibition industry is experiencing a fall resurgence. That's a bloody good showing for Halloween Kills, considering that the film is being released simultaneously in theaters and on demand via Peacock, NBC's Universal's in-house Netflix challenger. Uh, that kind of distri uh, distribution pattern has depressed ticket sales in the recent months. With films, uh, with films like Warner Brothers, The Space Jam, A New Legacy, and The Suicide Squad failing to resonate with moviegoers when they were made available at the same time on HBO Max, Halloween Kills scores the highest grossing opening weekend for a streaming day and date premiere, besting Godzilla vs. Kong, which came in at the came in out the gate with thirty one point six million dollars, despite bowing on HBO Max at the same time it debuted in cinemas. Um, the genre at and this particular franchise lends itself to in theater experience. Uh, people who uh, want people want to be uh, scared together. Our core audience was eager and enthusiastic," said Jim Orr, Universal's president of domestic distribution. An exclusive theatrical release wasn't enough to save the last duel. Huh. So the last duel was actually theater exclusive, and it still didn't, uh, you know, do it for the box office. It's a lavish historical epic starring Adam Driver, Jodie Comer, and a venturing very far, very far afield from the Cambridge Southie milieu uh, that made them stars in Goodwill Hunting, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Okay, I can't, I couldn't follow the logic in that sentence, but. Anyways, let's continue. The drama, which is set in 14th century France, bombed, uh, grossing a pallid $4.8 million. That's a disastrous, disastrous result, given that the film's cost north of $100 million. What the fuck? $100 million for that movie? It's a drama. Oh, my God. Um, as well as a sign that older audiences remain skittish about returning to theaters when COVID and its variants are still circulating. More than half of the audiences for the more than half of the audience for The Last Duel was comprised of ticket buyers over the age of 35. In contrast, just 27% of uh, the audience for Halloween Kills hail, um, hailed from that demographic. The bulk of horror film opening weekends, crowds were younger men who have shown the greatest willingness to see movies on the big screen in the pandemic era. The Last Duel was inherited by Walt Disney after it bought 20th Century Fox Studio in 2019. Ridley Scott, who also saw, uh, oversaw this fall's House of Gucci, directed this movie. Okay. Uh, critics were kind, but that couldn't save the picture, which limped to a fifth-place finish. Whew. Okay. Elsewhere, MGM's um, No Time to Die earned $24.3 million in its second weekend, good enough for a second-place finish. That's a drop of 56%, which is roughly in line with the how other James Bond 
films like Spectre and Skyfall have performed in their sophomore frame. It brings the film's domestic call to $99.5 million, a respectable result during a pandemic. However, the problem for 007 situ- uh, sequel is that it was greenlit in pre-COVID times and carries a massive $250 million price tag, along with $100 million more in promo- promotional spending. So yeah, we talked about that last week, or I talked about that last week by myself. You know, I said it needs to make, what, about $800 million to break even? So yeah, it's... Um, uh, no Time to Die is definitely was uh, in a situation where, you know, you sort of have to sort of monitor it week by week to see, you know, what's going to happen. Um, who knows? I mean, honestly, to tell you the truth, like, I'm a little uh, uh, disappointed by that 56%. Uh, I think anything over 60 is disastrous, right? Anything over 60% is disastrous. 50 to 60 is uh, expected slash in line slash normal. Um, anything like 49% and below drop is like amazing, right? It's like this, like a, the standard, the gold standard for like a, a true success. And I, the fact that they didn't really hit that though, the 40% mark or anything in the forties, uh, is definitely troubling for the profitability of that movie. Um, but yeah, um, surprise, surprise. Uh, Halloween Kills gets the title for the highest grosser, the highest opening weekend for a day and date release. Uh, now knocking God's, uh, Godzilla versus Kong off that throne. Um, surprising, but also, you know, does it really count? You know what I mean? Like, who the hell? I don't know anyone who has Peacock. Like, who has Peacock? And, you know what I mean? Like, it almost kind of seems, it's kind of like that idea of, whenever a tree falls in a forest but there's no one around to hear it did it you know did it fall you know that kind of stuff like i really want to know like did did people actually watch this um did did anyone actually watch halloween kills at home like on streaming like that's that's a i kind of want to know the answer to that question like um but i real talk though you know this uh I did consider like buying, you know, Peacock and like Paramount Plus just to have more streaming services under my in my Infinity Gauntlet, and uh, yeah, maybe that'll happen soon. But just throwing that out there. Um, but yeah, the last duel was very surprising. I think uh, I think with that movie, with it being the genre it is, I would have wanted to see like a budget maybe under sixty million dollars at at most. Um, yeah, I mean, it looked like you have three or four big actors that probably cost them a lot. You have Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Jodie Comer, and Adam Driver. So they probably cost a lot, granted. But, like, you had a – I'm pretty sure it costs a lot of money to make wardrobes that are very period-specific or, you know, set designs that are very, like, old-timey and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's definitely definitely bad and – it's a situation where, like, we've we talked about the the demographics, you know, especially with even No Time to Die. Like, the demographics show that movies that, um, you know, target younger audiences are, are more successful because younger audiences are more willing to throw caution to the wind when it comes to going out. Um, I mean, I even know that from my own personal experience and my own friend groups and stuff like that. So, um, anyways, we'll go ahead and keep it moving. Uh, next up is... Uh, this comes from Screen Rant. Tom Holland views No Way Home as as an end of the Spider-Man franchise. Tom Tom Holland explains how his time as Peter Parker may w- may well be very different as he previews the game-changing events of Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, Tom Holland opens up about the highly anticipated Marvel movie, explaining how it represents the end of the Homecoming trilogy. 
Ever since he joined the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the role of Peter Parker, Holland has been involved in some of the MCU's biggest moments from Captain America's Civil War to Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. But there's a case to be made that his upcoming outing in No Way Home will be his biggest yet. Set to debut in theaters on December 17th, the third installment in the franchise is directed by John Watts, will pick up after Peter's identity is revealed at the end of Far From Home. Spoilers. Um... With his life turned upside down, Peter asks Doctor Strange, or Doctor Strange, to help restore his secret identity with magic. But as teased in the record-breaking No Way Home, no Way Home trailer, this fix doesn't seem to go according to plan. Zendaya, uh, Zendaya, John Favreau, Jacob Batalon, and Marissa Tomei will also be reprising the roles in the, from the previous Homecoming movies. Um, additionally, they'll be joined by Alfred Molina, Molina Jamie Foxx, and. Um, these uh, the actors played the villains in the previous Spider-Man franchises, uh, which has led to speculation about the Marvel movie uh, cons- about what the Marvel Marvel movie will consist of. Um, and the new comments shared with EW, Holland has just uh, de- definitively added to that speculation. The actor confesses that while filming, No Way Home was treated as the end of the Homecoming franchise, which began in 2017. He went on to explain that if the actors were lucky enough to reprise their roles in the future, they'll be playing very different versions of their characters. Holland quoted, uh, Holland's quote is included below, quote, <clears throat> We are all treating No Way Home as the end of a franchise, let's say. I think if we are lucky enough to dive into these characters again, you'd be seeing a very different version. It would no longer be the Homecoming trilogy. We would give it some time to tr- and try to build something different and tonally change the films. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. But we are definitely treating No Way Home like it was coming to an end, and it felt like it. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to sort of end it there here because uh, it's, it's definitely, uh, how do I put this? I think he's got like one more movie in his contract. I think I was seeing like he's got one more Marvel movie in his contract. Um, but that almost sort of like, kind of sort of, um, how do I put this? It sort of makes sense in a way where you can like, I'm going to just say like, I'm going to repeat someone's speculation uh, that I saw online. I don't know who I, I don't remember who I saw it from, so I can't give you credit. Um, but it was just, actually I've seen multiple, you know, podcasters, YouTubers have like said it, but, um, Tom Holland's uh, Spider-Man, he might just get yeeted off of the MCU um, after the events of No Way Home. So, like, if you think about uh, the, the the post-credit scene in Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and, yeah, I'm not going to spoil it there, but you sort of have, like, there's, there's enough to sort of warrant, like, what if he fucks things up and he has literally no way home? Like, he is now in a different multiverse other than the mainline MCU and he has no way home and he's just going to live out his days in a new reality. And that way you have a situation where um, if Spider-Man doesn't get renewed with the Marvel sharing rights agreement thing, then that's how Sony can, you know, make their Sony's properties of Spider-Man characters or a Spider-Man cinematic universe without Marvel being involved. You know, that would be an interesting way of like, you know, dancing around their situation and i think that's possible i'm not gonna um i don't know i think i I think i might even be okay with it you know you know writing your way around these kind of situations right so that's an interesting way of him saying about like oh it's it's the end you know and you can do that you know it's like you can either read it uh, that way 
or read it the other way where it's just, oh, it's just the end of a trilogy. It's uh, we're going to take a break from Spider-Man movies and then we'll come back and do more Spider-Man stuff. Uh, but, you know, it won't be like the same. You know what I mean? Like it'll be, a, you know, a 10 years later kind of like college years kind of stuff. Like I would imagine that would be the case. Or maybe if like Spider-Man or any Spider-Man characters, you know, they show up in other MCU projects, kind of like how we never really had an Iron Man 4, but Tony Stark kept appearing in other people's movies like Captain America 3 and all that stuff. So, you know, just food for thought. It's all speculation at this point. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. So we'll go ahead and keep it pushing. Uh, This next story comes from uh, Variety, and it says that... uh, Ted Sarandos doubles down on Dave Chappelle's defense. Quote, content doesn't directly translate to real-world harm. So that's uh, much to the chagrin of a lot of people that, you know, protest, you know. Um, Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarandos said a lengthy uh, missive to the entire company following the mounting controversy around the new original special from comic Dave Chappelle. After addressing top leadership in a Friday memo, Sarando sent an email to, on Monday to all staff, some of whom have increasingly expressed outrage over jokes about the trans community in Chappelle's The Closer and have scheduled a walkout protest as a response, which, it, which already happened at the time of this recording. So the walkout protest happened, so that's an update there. Um, quote, we know that a number of you have been left angry, disappointed, and hurt by our decision to put Dave Chappelle's latest special on Netflix, Sarandos wrote in an email obtained by Variety. With the closer, we understand that there, the concern is not about offensive to some content, but t- uh, titles which could increase real-world harm, such as further, marginali- further marginalizing already marginalized groups, hate, violence, etc., Last year, we heard similar concerns about three uh, about 365 days and violence against women. While some employees uh, disagree, we have a strong belief that content on screen doesn't directly translate to real-world harm, he said. Uh, this quote, the strongest evidence to support that this violent, the strongest evidence to support that yeah, that, sorry, I'm going to start over. The strongest evidence to support this is that violence on screen has grown hugely over the last 30 years, especially with first-party uh, shooter games, and yet violent crimes has fallen significantly in many countries. Adults can watch violence, assault, and abuse, or enjoy shocking stand-up comedy without it causing them uh, to harm others, he continues. While when contacted by Variety for comment, queer media watchdog Glad said it was... Founded 36 years ago because media representation has consequences for LGBTQ people, authentic media stories about LGBTQ lives have been cited as directly responsible for increasing public support for issues like marriage equality. But films and TV would have been uh, filled with stereotypes and misinformation for for us. uh, I'm sorry. Uh, stereotypes and misinformation about us for decades, leading to real-world harm, especially for trans people and LGBTQ people of color. Ironically, the documentary Disclosure on Netflix demonstrates this quite clearly. (laughs) That's some fucking fighting words that Glad has right there. They just throw in that little shade, that that little extra burn, like... That's actually interesting that Netflix's own content, like their own documentary that um, they either produced or whatever, but it's on their platform, even sort of harps on that. And they're like, yeah, 
Uh, so this, that, that Sarandos would wade into a debate about potential harmful effects of content is notable given that those who condemn Chappelle's jokes have specifically cited the physical danger that anti-trans ideology poses to the community. What we object to is the harm that content like this does to the trans community, especially trans people of color, and very specifically black trans women. People who look like me aren't being killed. I'm a white woman, wrote um, wrote out trans Netflix employee Tara Field in a now viral Twitter thread last week. Uh, make no mistake, Chappelle's alleged jokes do not impact hypothetical people. They, in fact, cause real harm to transgender and non-binary viewers and black LGBTQ youth who may have once looked up uh, to him as a role model, uh, wrote queer author and attorney Preston Mitchum on Wednesday. So yeah, um, I don't know. Like I've sort of like... Um, I gave my thoughts last week about the whole like debate and stuff like that. I just thought like, you know, uh, what do you call it? A joke is a joke, you know, uh, Chappelle just, you know, he just sort of gives his insight and his little like comedic lens, you know, like, and that's almost like a whole, a whole other topic on itself, you know, like comedy is supposed to sort of, you know, be shocking. Like, um, it's supposed to like, you know, challenge you, I guess. And, and it's supposed to be done and done in a way that's sort of like safe, you know what I mean? Like it's like a safe space. Like not trying to like make that a thing. Like oh, it's a safe space. No, no, no. It's like it's an agreement. When you go and watch a stand-up special or whatever, you're watching a comedian up on stage. You're just sort of, you know, not there to laugh. You know, you're there to laugh, but you know, you're also not there to be offended. You know, you sort of have like this. What do you call it? Uh, an agreement, like a silent, unwritten agreement, where you know you're not gonna really like take everything they say at face value. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of like a thing where it's like a lot of things that are funny tend to be hyperbole and it's like an, like an unwritten understanding that, you know, that it's, that it's a sort of heightened embellishment. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like even when I talk about like things that I, whenever things happen between me and my coworkers at work, I have a coworker that would constantly embellish the truth where, uh, like whenever something happened, like between like a conversation that took place, but then, whenever they recount it to someone else who wasn't there, they just sprinkle in like a little extra like embellishments of just uh, uh, things to make it funnier, to make it more of more than what it actually was. You know, you can't just, just tell the story. You gotta, you gotta sweeten it up too. You know, you gotta like, you know, you gotta make it interesting to sound or make it interesting to listen to, you know? So you gotta make it funny. You gotta make a hook, you know? And that's sort of sort of what I think about when I when I think about stand-up specials. You know, I don't think they are um, intend to do harm and stuff like that. You know, like I think the the whole thing about video game viol video games violence, you know, causing real-world violence. You know, I think that's been largely debunked. You know, so and uh, there's been many studies about that. And like, I don't think like I'm gonna watch like you know disaster shit. You know, like like it's like that's like saying like if I were to watch Saw like all the Saw movies all at once in one day, then I'm going to become like a sociopath and who wants to, you know, do kills and shit like that and start want to set up elaborate traps for people, my elaborate death traps for people to fall into. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's not uh, a thing that I expect uh, for movies to, to do. And there is a, there is a bit of a truth though in there, what they're saying as well. Like I do want to, you know, I want to also like acknowledge that, movies and video games have a way of making people feel empathy, you know? Um, 
I think when you watch like a movie where like there's like a like a character who's bad, like think of like Joaquin Phoenix's Joker film, you know, a character who isn't a hero or a protagonist, but they are, you see from their perspective and you sort of empathize with their situation and why they do the bad things they did, you know? So I think that there's like a, how do I put this? There's a, uh, there is a truth, but it's also not like a, the the right the truth that you would expect. I think that when you empathize with somebody, you sort of you know feel you feel for them, and you have a a better understanding, or you don't really cast as much judgment. I don't think uh, feeling empathy is gonna you know make you you know join a violent cause. So I think those are two different things. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting little discussion. I don't really have much to say other than that. I just sort of like sort of spinning my wheels here and uh i don't know like i'm gonna also just say that i am uh i'm also not gonna i also don't want to like say anything definitive either because i don't know where i truly stand i'm just sort of like thinking out loud here um like i don't want to make say you know you know say anyone uh, say i don't want to say fuck you to anyone who thinks otherwise you know what i mean like that's like i'm not here to say that either uh i'm just sort of like you know spinning my wheels here and uh kind of like uh, expressing my, my thoughts. And I don't want to begrudge or belittle anyone else's thoughts. Because I know it's a sensitive matter, too, by the way. And I still haven't watched the Dave Chappelle special either. So, yeah. Um, we'll go ahead and move on to the extra news. Um, number one, Mandalorian starts production on season three. Number two, Marvel's Eternals sets advanced ticket sales records, beating out Black Widow and Shang-Chi. Number three, Jack Ryan adds Michael Pena to season four. And they were also renewed for season four. Number four, Dune will debut 24 hours earlier than its theatrical debut. So Dune is out in theaters this Friday for new releases. Um, You can watch it on Thursday on HBO Max. Um, Number five, Indiana Jones 5 sets uh, set pictures suggest time travel because there appears to be Roman soldiers in period-specific gear. Number six, Ryan Reynolds says that he's taking a little sabbatical from movie making. Number seven, Superman changes uh, his motto from truth, justice. I'm sorry. He changes his motto to truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. Number eight, the Golden Globes Award. The Golden Globe Awards are set for January 9th with or without a telecast partner. Number nine, Netflix uh, projects Squid Game will generate $891 million in value, according to leaked data. And number 10, this is the box office report as usual. I'm just going to go ahead and bring up the actual like projections up on screen. As you can see, Halloween Kills uh, debuts at number one for $50 million. Uh, no Time to Die is at number two with $24 million, and it's at $99 million. Venom Let There Be Carnage made $16 million, making its total at $168 million. And Shang-Chi is um, in the number six. Made another three million. It now reaches. Uh, it's now sitting at two hundred and eighteen mil. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, it for the extra news. And I'm just gonna go ahead and say um, I'm gonna bring up the Indiana Jones uh, set pictures because I thought that looks really interesting. Like uh, you have uh, you know Harrison Ford looking. You know he's on his he's sitting on his ass on the ground. I don't I don't know why. Uh, but also you can see here some really some motherfucking roman soldiers and i really don't know how i feel about the idea of indiana jones time traveling to like ancient times or whatever um there's also another set another photo here where like they're on a rowboat like manually rowing 
Um, you know, I don't think there's like a situation where like in the 1940s or 50s or whatever time they're supposed to be set where like people were LARPing. So that's not a thing at that time. So, um, yeah, that's uh, interesting. I mean, we did Aliens in Indiana Jones 4, but that movie was trash. But um, ancient Roman times going back. So here's the thing. When I heard the headline about time travel, like Indiana Jones time traveling, I thought they were uh, they were talking about like my first thought was time traveling to the present, but no, we're doing the other thing instead. So time traveling backwards. So yeah, whatever. Uh, as far as other stuff to react to, um, you know, Dune. So here's the thing: movies when they come out on Friday, they really come out on Thursdays. They tend to have. Um, uh, the debut be on Thursday night sneaks. So it used to be Thursday at midnight. Like they, it was like a, what do you call it? A, like a slow crawl, like over time. It used to be midnight. You have to wait, wait until midnight because it's Friday. You know what I mean? Uh, and then now they started doing the thing where like, oh, let's push it. Let's do 10 p.m. Uh, 10 p.m. because, you know, people have to work the next day. You know, people, you know, there's, you gotta like, you know what I mean? Like there's like the sort of trying to like, you know, push the envelope. So like they do 10 p.m. sneaks. And then, then uh, it got to the point where they started doing 8 p.m. sneaks. And I think the last time they left off is 7 p.m. So now when you movie comes out on Friday and it's got a, you know, it's like a popular enough movie, then they'll do the night before or the day before starting at 7 p.m. And then they'll do like several showtimes. Maybe they won't even do a midnight show because, you know, the theater closes, you know, at, at 10 p.m. So they'll do like a nine o'clock show and then uh, and that's it, you know. So those are your Thursday night preview sneak, whatever and so I'm not a, I'm, I don't know, I'm not a fan. Uh, I mean, I am a fan. I'm not a fan. Like on the one hand, like, you know, getting to sleep, you know, like going to getting to sleep uh, as far as like, you know, I, I do work on Fridays. So if I were to watch a movie on Thursday night, I don't have to like be like very sleepy. Like in the next day, like when I used to, when I, especially when I do Thursday night sneaks when I was in uh, high school and I'm like, and it's like, I have to be up at school in the morning and I shit like it affects me. But, uh, you know, there's like a certain like uh, sacredness to like a midnight crowd because everyone is in that, that theater is there because they're like passionate fans. And there's like an energy in the air that you just can't capture. You know what I mean? So. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Um, so with I'm pretty sure there's going to be Thursday night, 7 p.m. shows. But I think that the time that it's going to go live is Thursday at 5 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Eastern. So for like in theory. If you were to catch, like, you know, advanced ticket sales for a Thursday night, 7 p.m. show, if there is, which I don't know if there is and there is, I really don't know. Uh, but I'm assuming that there's a, there's a sneak, a Thursday night sneaks, that, you know, you would actually be able to watch uh, for the first time ever, before anyone, like, before, like, you know, made public, you can watch it on HBO Max before being able to watch it in the big screen on the theater. I think that's really weird. And it's almost kind of like a situation where like, I remember there was like a, like the whole lawsuit thing was happening. You know, is Dune even going to be on HBO Max? Is it going to be the exception to the rule? You know what I mean? Like, I think that um, with Dune being on HBO Max, is it is it going to affect, you know, the box office? Is it going to like take away? Is it going to fuck everything up, you know? And I think that with even this, with it being made available earlier than, than you know, than theaters, you know, does it also, you know, give people less incentive to watch it in theaters? You know what I mean? So is it even going to like, is there even going to be an uptick? Is there even going to be more subscriptions to HBO Max because of this? Like, I don't know. I don't, I hope, I, I don't know. It's just the, the logic here is off. Um, I would have preferred it to just be Friday and stuff like that. Or even Friday, Friday at midnight, you know, where it's like, you know, whatever. Um, 
but yeah, so I'm going to also just say real quick uh, about uh, the Golden Globes. I think it's kind of hilarious that they're announcing that they're going to go through with it and stuff like that. Um, I hope they find a telecast partner because uh, it would be really, really weird for them to do a banquet and, you know, we find out later through a, a press conference or like, what do you call it, uh, a press memo or whatever those things they call them where they just, you know, send out a, like a little paragraph, a little email to the press outlets and they report on it, you know. Um, as far as uh, uh, Squid Game, Squid Game is so popular. Like, it's got so much eyes. And I guess that that, that valuation, it's like a with how much eyeballs, I guess, there was on the show, with how much uh, subscriptions that were added, I think that $891 million in in uh, value is not saying that it gener- it garnered $891 million. I think it's more of like a valuation of the of the their metrics or whatever, you know? So um, I think it's either on it, it's either the most watched thing on Netflix ever, or it's a, it's the second most watched thing on Netflix ever. I forgot what the number one was. Um, it was probably on its way to beating that number. And it's also uh, a situation where I heard like a long, t- a couple weeks ago where it's like the show was so popular that it uh, crashed Korea's South Korea's uh, internet and that certain companies, um, Internet companies of South Korea were suing Netflix for for fucking up their bandwidth. So that's how popular that show was. So yeah, um, that yeah, that's we'll go ahead and leave it at there for the extra news. Uh, I know I'm sort of like rushing through the show, but I I sort of want to get going. So we'll go ahead up and wrap 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 it up with the last two segments of the day. Let's go ahead and move on to Netflix and chill. So for Netflix and chill, we normally do the charts, but I'm only going to do two charts. Uh, the Netflix, two Netflix charts, and then I'll give you guys a recommendation of what to watch on Netflix, actually. Uh, so, finally, no longer at number one. Uh, yeah, let me just go ahead and say, at number one, you is number one. <laughs> and I'm just, I just, I tried pointing to the camera right there. It's like, you are number one. Yeah, like kind of stuff. But no, uh, it's the name of the show. Uh, the name of the show is called You. Like, Y-O-U. Um, you is number one. And um, it's because a new season came out this past Friday. I think I said it last week during the public service, public service, uh, PSA. Um, and then, so finally, Squid Game is off of its throne and uh, sucks. I would have liked to see how long it could stay uh, in number one, especially because the Netflix charts tend to be very volatile. They tend to like, there's tends to not be staying power unless your name is Coco Melon. Uh, but anyways, uh, Netflix, uh, whatever, Netflix charts be like that. So at number two, we got Squid Game, and let's just see if it stays at number two. You know, let's see how long it stays in the top three, you know. Um, number three is Made. Number four is Shameless. Number five is called The Forgotten Battle. Number six is Dave Chappelle's The Closer. Number seven is The Guilty. Number eight is Going in, Go, Going in Style, which is a Morgan Freeman movie. Number nine is My Name. Number 10 is The Great British Baking Show. Those, those are the top 10 things on Netflix shows and movies combined now if we filter out the shows we are left with the top 10 movies that are popular on netflix so um if you eight of those things were shows so only two things carry over the forgotten battle at number one going in style at number two uh the rest is uh shark dogs fantastic halloween i guess that makes sense for the month of october uh my little pony a new generation number five is legacy of lies number six is the guilty Number seven is Titanic. Number eight is Something Borrowed. Number nine, again at number nine, is Jumanji, the 1995 movie. Uh, 
starring Robin Williams. R.I.P. to him. Uh, number 10 is LOL, The Surprise, The Movie. So, anyways, um, my recommendation for the week is something you can watch on Netflix. It is a movie from 1995, uh, directed by Robert Rodriguez, and it stars Antonio Banderas and uh, Selma Hayek when she was definitely peak Selma Hayek. You know, she was at her hottest. I would say between Desperado and between, uh, what is it? Uh, damn, what's that vampire one? Uh, From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, that's the one. Between those two movies, like, you know, that was definitely Selma Hayek at her hottest. And uh, it's uh, a movie about a, uh, a Desperado. <laughs> uh, he's like this uh, mariachi guy. He's playing played by Antonio Banderas. And I really don't even know what the movie's about, to tell you the truth. Like, I guess he gets caught up in some fucking drug thing. I don't know. Like, I really don't know what the movie's about. I just remember, I remember the movie pretty well. Like, there's a lot of uh, memorable scenes that happen. Like, there's this one cool-ass action fight that happens at the end of the movie or towards the end of the movie where, like, he calls his two other mariachi friends that are, like, also, you know, in the biz as far as, like, being hitman and stuff like that. Uh, And he has um, this one guy has, uh, they both, they all carry, like, uh, guitar cases, right? They are, like, you know, they all have guitars, but inside the cases, there were actually guns. So one of the guys had, like, a rocket launcher built into it. So it's, like, a rocket launcher guitar case, and the other one had a ro- uh, um, a guitar case machine gun. And they would just, like, you know, brrr, and it was kind of hilarious. It's, like, really awesome. It's very stylistic. And then uh, whenever um, Antonio Banderas, you know, has, you know, puts his hands up or whatever, he had guns up his sleeve. And so he could just go, like, and just, like, start shooting people and stuff like that. Um, there's this, like, one scene where, like, I guess they were trying to ambush uh, Antonio Banderas's character. And, like, he was asleep, and Selma Hayek was on top of him, and she was just singing on the guitar with her eyes closed and just sort of, like, you know, being sexy or whatever. And then um, there's these two guys that are like, um, uh, you know, from both the left and the right, uh, they're like, you can see their shadow on the wall, like kind of like see through like those, like very Japanese kind of thing. And they're like coming in and, and stuff like that. And they're they're like, you know, circling through, trying to make their way to the door. And then you see how he, wake, he wakes up and sees the shadows. And so he gets both of his guns and he's sort of like pointing the guns and following them and following them. And so finally he points his guns directly forward, facing forward right at Selma Hayek. And then she opens her eyes right as he, and all she sees is him pointing his guns at her. And she's like, oh, my God, and freaks out, gets out of the way and shoots right behind her and shoots at two people or whatever. So there's that scene. Um, there's also a scene of like a little boy dying. And I was like, that one hit me hard because I think I was I would think I was his age or about his age. Uh, and, you know, seeing a little kid die on screen was like, what the fuck? You know, you generally tend not to see that. Um but yeah, like there was, uh, it was like a very uh, cool, like it was a cool movie, just just cool, like you just a lot of style, um, and um, yeah, I could, I could not tell you what it's about. I just know I've seen it back in the day, and it's action. It's 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 got you know I don't say romance. I'm not gonna say romance. You know he gets the girl kind of stuff. Uh, there's an explosion. There's a cool explosion when uh, where Antonio Banderas and Selma Hayek were walking away from an explosion, looking really cool. You know, so <laughs> so it's kind of funny. I think I was like, well, how old was I in 1995? I was seven. Yeah, so. And I don't think a seven-year-old should be watching that kind of movie, but, you know, my parents brought me to the theaters, whatever. So, uh, but yeah, that's all I can tell you what the movie's about. <laughs> it's about cool cool people and explosions. And uh, uh, it had a sequel, by the way, uh, that had Enrique Iglesias uh, as well. And 
I think it was called Once Upon a Time in Mexico, if I want to say. I don't know. But anyways, um, Desperado. Go check it out on Netflix. I think I might have to check it out just to get my memory jogged or whatever what the movie's about. But I really liked it. I think you guys would too. So, yeah. Uh, we'll go ahead and uh, keep it moving to find, uh, finish things out with the uh, new releases. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. So with new releases, a really interesting interesting thing is that uh, there are three new releases, and all three of them in their own right could have been a pick of the week on another week. You know what I mean? Like they all could have, if it was like a little less stiff competition, that they all could have gotten the crown for pick of the week. Um, I'm going to watch two of these things between now and next show. So I'll be giving you my impressions on two of these things. Maybe all three if I watch. I don't know. Um, first up is Dune. It comes out this Friday on October 22nd in theaters and on HBO Max October 21st. Uh, it's the synopsis reads, uh, Paul at, uh, Paul Atreides, a brilliant and gifted young man born into great destiny, born into a great uh, destiny beyond his understanding must travel to the most dangerous planet in the universe to ensure the future of his family and his people as malevolent forces explode into conflict over the planet's exclusive supply of the most precious resource in existence. Only those who can conquer their own fear will survive. So, big ensemble cast, a lot of movie stars. The film stars Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista, Zendaya, Jason Momoa, and Javier Bardem. Not to be outdone, they were like, oh, you got movie stars? Okay, well, we have even more movie stars because The French Dispatch comes out in theaters this Friday on October 22nd. And they have also have Timothy Chalamet in their cast. So, booyah. So, Timothy Chalamet has two movies coming out in the same weekend. Really interesting. That's going to be, a, like, quite the press junket, you know, where he's going on interview shows and late-night shows, and he's got to promote two things. Uh, so, yeah. The French Dispatch is the Wes Anderson-directed movie that was got that standing ovation at, a, at the film festival we covered a while back, and it's, you know, we were you know, talking about it a lot, about, you know, buzzing about this, uh, about this movie, and so... Um, the French Dispatch, I just, I didn't even know this, but this movie is an anthology. It's got like three stories or three or four stories in one. So it's like all of these movie stars, they're not all like in one continuous like story. It's rather like in vignettes where you see like a, a small group of these actors in a vignette and then they move on to the next vignette. So that's interesting. I didn't know that. So although this movie star cast list I'm about to read to you is impressive, they all don't share scenes with each other. So just keep that in mind. Uh, so the synopsis reads, a love letter to journalists set in an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city that brings to life a collection of stories published in the French Dispatch. So there you go. It's a fictionalized 20th century newspaper. So, uh, the film stars Benicio del Toro, Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, Leia Sedu, Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, Jeffrey Wright, Jason Schwartzman, Elizabeth Moss, Angelica Houston, Christoph Waltz, Liev Schreiber, Edward Norton, C.R.C. Ronan, Bill Murray, and Owen Wilson. 
fuck. That is like the who's who's of like people like Wes Anderson intends to work with the same actors over and over. So, uh, yeah, like Jason Schwartzman, like Mount Rushmore, um, Owen Wilson, like, and the Darjeeling Limited, you know, like, he likes to work with the same actors a lot. So it's like the who's who's of, uh, and even when you think about, like, we covered on the the podcast before, like, Bill Murray, you know, he's going to be on the next Wes Anderson film, you know, he likes to work with the same actors. Um, So, yeah. Um, Next up is Ron, Ron's Gone Wrong. It comes out in theaters this Friday. Uh, Barney is a social awkward schoolboy who receives a robot named Ron, a walking, talking, digitally connected device that's supposed to be his best friend. Barney is excited to finally have his own robot until his new toy starts hilariously malfunctioning, drawing the attention of a shady executive who wants to protect his company's stock price at all costs. The film stars Zach Galifianakis, Jack Dylan Grazier, Olivia Coleman, Ed Helms, and Justice Smith. That's a pretty good cast right there. Like, they're all good casts. Uh, so, yeah, Zach Galifianakis, Zach Galifianakis is, is the Ron. He's the robot. Jack Dylan Grazier is the kid that plays the, you know, the guy who own, the boy who owns the robot and stuff like that. And Justice Smith, I believe he's playing, like, the CEO of the tech company or whatever, like a very hipstery, like, uh, think um, Mark Zuckerberg style. Like, Mark Zuckerberg with Steve Jobs kind of, like, meshed together kind of stuff, young, hip, you know, whatever. So... I heard a lot of good things. I've heard. Of, I've seen a review already about Ron's, Ron's Gone Wrong. Um, there's some, apparently like there's some good social commentary. Now again, it's a kid kids movie, so you know you don't go to kids movies for social commentary, but it's there. It's like sort of like weaved into the narrative about like you know technology and how you know people tend to like you know, be on their phones a lot. So I think that's like very good. It's kind of like you know think of like Zootopia, you know stuff like that. Um, so I'm very interested in watching uh, Ron's Gone Wrong. It looks like the new trailers make it look hilarious and like. When I think of like what ha- when I saw in the Netflix uh, movie, uh, what was it? Uh, that family movie where like they were all like you know fighting aliens or whatever, or the robot apocalypse. I forgot the name of that movie. It was like uh, we covered it earlier in the lifespan the lifespan of the uh, of the show of the of the podcast. But you know when I think of I think it's gonna be on that level of that movie. And uh, so yeah, I'll have impressions for you guys for Ron's Gone Wrong and Dune. I don't know if I'll be watching Dune in theaters for the first time or if I'm going to be watching at home on HBO Max. Um, so, but either way, I uh, I will have you guys, I'll talk to you guys about impressions on that stuff. And I'm pretty sure Troy's probably going to have impressions on Dune. Maybe The French Dispatch. I know he likes the Wes Anderson films. So who knows? I'm not, I haven't talked to him about that. Um, but yeah, I'll, we'll go ahead and, uh, and wrap up the show. So it is time to end. Thank you so much for joining us Joining us for another episode of Ready Play Movies. Remember, you can reach the podcast by email at readyplaymovies at gmail.com or simply at readyplaymovies on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at chakalaka88. And don't forget to subscribe, give us a review, tell your friends about the show, and all that good stuff. Peace. Peace.